Thank you. Appreciate you moving the lectern back in position and not making the same joke about me. That's great. Hi, everyone. <laughs> um, it's a real privilege to be speaking to you today. We're continuing a, a, a teaching series that we started last week called Family on Mission. And what we looked at last week was how God is like a family. We refer to God as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That's the language of family, of relationship. That even within God, before creation, there was, there was love, there was honor, there was service, there was release, there was submission. All of the things that take place in family. And he, through Jesus Christ, has welcomed us into that family. We share in that love. And so we are called to be brothers and sisters, to love one another. That's the command that, that Jesus gave to us, to love one another as brothers and sisters. Not an insular family that just looks after our own interests, but a family on mission, a family that goes out. Why? Because that's the kind of family that we have become part of. God didn't just exist in self-sufficiency in heaven, but he sent his only son to us. He reached out to us because he wanted to make room, make space for others to enjoy the, the, the love that he has. And he's reached out to each one of us to be part of that family. We are called now to be open families to the world, to go out, to reach people, people who are lost, people who are lonely, people who are just not thinking about God and to welcome them also into that same family. So we're, we're gonna be teaching for the, for the first quarter of this year the foundational principles of how we can mobilize ourselves to live in the way that we are called to. And what I want to talk about today is the foundation of that mission. The foundation of that mission to go and preach good news. The Bible tells us to go out and tell the world the good news about Jesus. And I want to remind us this morning, what is that good news? What is it that we carry, that we offer the world? Because, you know, we don't just offer the world a, a set of teachings, a set of wisdom, a philosophy, or a set of rules, do this, do that, don't do this, don't do that. That's not what saves the world. What we offer the world is a person, the person of Jesus Christ. We're bringing the presence of Jesus into the world. That is what our mission is, and I want to really focus on that this morning. So we're going to start off with a really foundational verse that probably you will have, you will have heard is John chapter 3, verse 16. Many of you could quote it without even reading it, but I'm going to read it this morning. It says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. That in a, is probably the most concise way the Bible can, can um, sum up what the good news is that we're bringing the world. God so loved the world. You've got to understand this was written in the book of John. In the book of John, the world refers to the dark, fallen, sinful world that we talk about. Um, God loves that world, that world that sometimes shocks us, sometimes disgusts us, sometimes we want to just retreat from it and not focus on it. God didn't retreat from it. He loved the world and he sent his son into that world. He didn't give up on us. And it says he gave his one and only son. He didn't give a new philosophy, a new set of rules or instructions. He gave us a person, a person, his son. And it says that whoever believes in him will not perish, but will be given eternal life. Now, where it says belief there, that's not simply an intellectual belief. 
That's not just agreeing that something is true, but it's, it's believing in the same way as my kids believed that I am a safe driver this morning. You could ask my kids, is your dad a safe driver? I mean, they may say yes or no, depending on the day, but generally I believe they think, they believe and understand that I am a safe driver, but the kind of belief we're talking about here is the belief, the faith that they show in actually getting into the car and being willing to be taken to, that I would be able to get them safely to the destination. That's the kind of belief we're talking about. Not simply agreeing that Jesus existed, or even just simply agreeing that Jesus probably did die and rise from the dead. It is having that belief, and based on that belief, then putting our full trust, dedicating our lives, and giving our lives to him. It's an active faith that it's talking about. And that faith then gives us an access to this thing that John describes here as eternal life. Eternal life. Now, Eternal life isn't simply just the reward given, an arbitrary reward given for passing the test of believing in Jesus. But what it is, is actually by believing in Jesus, by receiving him, we are, we are accessing eternal life because eternal life comes through Jesus Christ. And I wanna talk about that eternal life today. What do we mean by eternal life? What is that thing that we are holding out and offering to people? I think there are two aspects, two main aspects to this. The first is probably the one that you're thinking of, the one that we most commonly run to is just the idea that death is not the end, that there is an everlasting forever of life that God gives us when we receive Jesus in our lives. So 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 16 and 17 says, for the Lord himself will come down from heaven. This is talking about the future when Jesus returns. He will come down from heaven with a loud command with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. There it is. We will be with the Lord forever. And that is the hope that we hold out. If we believe in Jesus, we will not perish literal death, but we will even even after death, there is a life to be lived with God forever. And just to explain this verse, it is explained when Jesus returns, obviously there are some who have already died and then there are some who will be there at the moment that Jesus returns. And he's saying, don't worry about those who have already passed away. They will be resurrected in that moment and they will go before us and then we will meet them in the air and then we will live with God forever. Understand, we're not going to be living in the clouds forever. We're meeting him in the air as he comes down to earth. It was a practice of kings in those times. That if a king was visiting the city, was coming home maybe from a battle, you wouldn't wait for him to reach the city gates, but you would see him a ways off and the whole city would go out to meet him and then join him in, in, in procession going into the city. But the final destination was the city. We see it when Jesus comes um, to, to Jerusalem, before, while he's still a ways off, people come, they bring their palm leaves and they, they sing Hosanna to the king and they, they, the party begins a ways off. And it's the same with this. This isn't a, an image of us all living in the clouds. That's not what it's talking about. We meet him in the clouds and then we join him in a victorious, joyful party down where we live forever on earth. Earth wasn't wasn't as a kind of a plan B. This was where God destined for us to live with him forever and ever. 
Death was never part of the original plan. This was always God's plan for us to live with him in harmony forever. In, in the book of Genesis, if you read the book of Genesis, chapter one to three, it talks about the creation of the, of the world, the Garden of Eden. God created Adam and Eve in his image. And the idea was to live in perfect harmony with all of creation and with him. Authority was given to Adam and Eve to rule over, to take care of, to steward creation. But it was, it was stewarding it under his authority, under his authority to submit to him. And God said, you probably know the story, you can eat from any tree. I've given you everything you need. But there is a tree in the middle of the garden called the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And if you eat that tree, you will surely die. So there's this one condition placed upon this relationship. There's one condition placed upon this situation of living with God in, in, in perfection. And that is that you don't reach for that particular tree. Now, that might be confusing to some of us. What's so wrong with knowing good and evil? There doesn't seem to be anything particularly wrong with it. In fact, later on, the Bible actually uses this term to know good from evil as a term to refer to maturity. You know a, a child has reached maturity when they know good from evil. That was just a term given to wisdom, worldly wisdom. The issue was this. The issue was that in the garden was that they took it for themselves. She reached out and she took the fruit for herself. See, the idea was that God would teach them good from evil. This was supposed to be a relationship of vulnerability, a relationship of complete dependence upon God but he gave us the option, the, the, the freedom to choose for ourselves to follow our own way, to reach our own ideas of good and evil. It's the same that we see and to become like God. That's what the serpent says. Hey, you don't need to rely and be vulnerable on God and rely on him. If you eat the fruit, then you will be like God, knowing good from evil. You will be able to make your own decisions and be independent from him. It's the same thing we see in the Tower of Babel where people get together and say, hey, if we, you know, there was a flood that wiped everything out, but if we build this tower and we make it waterproof, we'll build it up to the heavens and nothing will be able to touch us. We will be completely independent from God. And God then confuses their language and the whole thing falls apart. This is what mankind has always done, tried to make ourselves invulnerable, tried to make ourselves independent, but our destiny was always to live in vulnerability to God. Like a child, one of the things Jesus said was, if you want to be the greatest, you have to become like a little child. This was the, the position that, that mankind was, was intended to be in. The impact of that rebellion, the impact of that decision to move away from God, to be independent from God, was the curse of death. Not just on human beings, but on the whole of creation. That our bodies, they wear out, they die. There's a, a time limit on all of us. That we live in a world where our bodies and minds are susceptible to sickness and disease. That even nature itself, rather than just simply living in harmony, is hostile. And he says even the man has to do battle with the ground to grow crops just to get food out of the ground. Now it's a battle. It's, it's difficult. Unlike the garden where they just walked around picking fruit off the trees. Now there's a, there's a war going on within creation. There are floods and there are, there are earthquakes. There are volcanoes. And we don't understand all of those things. That is the life in which we live. And because of sin in the world, there is a chaos. There is things that happen. Bad things can happen even to good people. We don't even understand why all of that happens. 
Why does it have to be that way? Well, God is the source of life. God is life. And as we deviated away from God and moved away from him, there was a separation. A separation. This was not some cruel punishment from God for one act of disobedience. This was the natural consequence of the freedom to choose our own wisdom over the wisdom of the creator. We chose and we continue to choose because Paul says we're not just simply in this state of sin and and decay and death because of one man's decision, but because all men have sinned and fallen short. Every person makes that same decision on a daily basis to live separate from God. And so there is this imperfection in the world. There is this, this death that has entered in and that restricts our life. On, uh, on Mount Everest, the tallest mountain in the world, there are a few other mountains that are above 8,000 feet. But what climbers call the, the point past 8,000 feet, they call it the death zone. Because at past 8,000 feet altitude, there is so little oxygen in the air that the cells in the human body can no longer regenerate. So even with supplementary oxygen, even with an oxygen tank, you're still, once you enter that zone, you are slowly dying. You can't just pitch a tent there and decide you're going to live up there. Even if you had enough food and warmth and all the rest of it, there isn't enough oxygen. You have to get up and you have to get down within a certain amount of time or your body will begin to break down. You've simply moved away from the source of life, the oxygen that feeds not just your lungs, but every cell in your body. And it's the same with this life that we've lived. God is our source of life and he still maintains our life. But there is a limit to that life now because of our move away from God, the source of life. There is that that barrier. God didn't just create the world. The Bible says he sustains all life by the power of his word. God's continued presence sustains that life of people's choice to separate ourselves from God has the effect of creating a death zone that our bodies are now subject to, to cancer and disease and, and our minds are susceptible to illness and our bodies are susceptible to illness as well. That is the life that we live. Jesus died and rose again to point towards a day when God will renew all of creation. So the full stop was not there. God's plan is to renew all of creation and to do away with death. How? By placing himself in the middle of it. And that is the feature. Whenever you read about the, the life which is to come, God is at them in the middle of it. His full presence, no um, separation. And that means that all of life flourishes and death is done away with. That's what Jesus' death and resurrection points towards. That if you put your faith in him, You know that death is not the end. It's why Paul says, death, where is your sting? Where is your victory? Jesus has done away with death and and victory over that. So even though we know one day, all of us here, our bodies will, will wear out. Unless we are here when Jesus returns, our bodies will wear out, but that is not the end. And our hope is that there will be a new life for each one of us that will be forever and ever in his presence And that is still worth celebrating. That is worth telling good news to people. The fact is, whether we like it or not, there are a lot of people in this world for whom their life is short and painful and seems to lack all meaning. We heard this morning about baby Tally, just born a few hours and then gone. Is that the end? 
we believe no, because of Jesus Christ who died and rose again, baby Tally will rise again and live forever in the presence of God. Amen? Amen. That is something worth celebrating. That is something worth telling to people who don't see much hope in this, in this life, that there is a life after death. And maybe we don't talk about that as much as we should. But that isn't all there is. That isn't all there is. There's another aspect to eternal life that is about this life. In John chapter 17, verse, one, uh, verse 3, John says, Jesus says, Now this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, Jesus Christ, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. That this is eternal life, not just that you're going to live forever one day, but that now you know him. See, eternal is not just a word describing a length of time, living forever and ever, but it's also a quality of life, a life which comes from God, a new quality, a new dimension of life. As John says, it's knowing God through the person of Jesus Christ. See, in the garden, the fall happened because of one type of knowing, wanting to know good from evil. In other words, we want to we be independent. We want all the knowledge so that we can live our own lives in our own wisdom, that kind of knowing. And that led to death. But there's another kind of knowing that leads to life, the knowing the Father, knowing Jesus Christ whom he sent. Through knowing him, and again, not just an intellectual knowing, knowing about him, but actually knowing him, having him in your life on a day-to-day basis, relying upon him, that brings us life and a new kind of life on this earth before we die. It means going back to a place of intimacy and vulnerability with God that we lost. Genesis chapter 2 verse 25, it describes before everything went wrong, it describes Adam and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. They were just themselves like a newborn baby. They hadn't achieved anything. They hadn't yet made any mistakes. They hadn't had any successes. They didn't have any status or title. They hadn't been awarded a job or a medal or anything like that they were just their naked selves and they stood before God felt no shame and God said it is good God loves the naked you right some of us might not enjoy standing in front of a mirror naked and looking at ourselves I don't particularly enjoy doing that but we we like to cover ourselves up I mean, literally with clothes, and I'm not advocating we, we get naked here this morning, but we, we have always tried to do that as mankind, as humankind, is to cover up who we are through status. We try to, oh, I've got to achieve something, and then when I introduce myself, I can sort of, I can cover up who I am by the things I've achieved, or my title, or what job I do, and somehow justify my existence that way, but God loves us exactly the way we are. Genesis chapter 3, verse 7 to 8, after everything goes wrong, it says, then the first thing that happened was the eyes of them were opened, they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together to try to make coverings for themselves. And the man and his wife heard the sound of God as he walked in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord among the trees of the garden. We tried to cover up who we are. We don't feel comfortable before God. So there was that separation again between us and God. Jesus came and he walked amongst us, perfect, having done no wrong, and he died on a cross for our sins so that we would no longer have to feel shame. 
so that he would say once and for all, do not be confused about this. I love you despite all of your failures. He went and he walked among tax collectors. He walked among prostitutes and he went to them and said, God accepts you and loves you for exactly who you are. Do not hide away from me, but come to me without fear. When he died for you, there was no more argument about whether God does or doesn't accept you for who you are. It's the ultimate acceptance. It was God saying, I'm going to do the heavy lifting in this relationship. Yes, there's been problems. Yes, there's been sin. Yes, there's, there's things that you've done wrong, but guess what? I'm going to pay for it. I'm going to take it all upon myself because it's too much for you to carry. And now we can live in perfect relationship with one another. That's the message that we carry to people. Imagine living a life knowing that the God who created everything around you and sustains life and everything around you, even sustains your life, is for you and not against you. He wants the best for you. He has plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Imagine living that life without any fear of death, without any fear of what anyone can do to you because the one who is for you is greater than the one who is against you. I just want to read this from Romans chapter 8, verse 31 to 39. Paul says, what then shall we say in response to all these things that Jesus has done? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It's God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died, more than that, who is raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. But no, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I'm convinced that neither life nor death Neither angels nor demons, neither the present or the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's what he offers us in Jesus. A life lived in his presence, loved and accepted. And that becomes the foundation of our life. We build everything else upon that. Not on human wisdom that we grab for ourselves. Not on fear or worry but on the rock, Jesus, the Son of God, whose love is stronger than death, more unyielding than the grave. There is nothing more powerful than that. And if we believe and accept that about ourselves, we will understand who we, who we truly are and who we are loved by him. And that gives us a foundation and a confidence to live our lives free from fear, free from shame, free from condemnation, knowing that there is nothing that can face us because whatever happens in this world, we are held by God. Amen. I'm just going to welcome the band just to come back up. We're going to worship him. We're going to thank him. Why don't we pray?